0: And in Exodus 33 in continuation, um, you know, one thing I I should have said this like years ago, maybe like four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, I'll say it periodically from now on, but you know, we don't do topical studies here. Uh, we just go through the Bible systematically. Every once in a blue moon, we might have a topical sermon, topical study, um, But for the most part, we go through the Bible verse by verse, line upon line. And rather than think about it as like a subject matter for this particular day, I mean, that too. But think of it, consider it as um, a tapestry. You know, something that the Lord is putting together for us in our minds, in our hearts, in in the very essence of our being. So that we can understand Him more and more and His character. You know, we had in this passage in Exodus 32, a very, very difficult passage because the Lord tells Moses, go down to the people now. Remember, he spent all this time in the cloud on the top of the mountain. He spent all this time getting the the blueprints from the Lord. The Lord was showing him, I'm going to use you and I want you to do these things to build the tabernacle, to erect the tabernacle. I want you to do all these things. And so then the Lord says to Moses, hey, you know what, get down. He says in chapter 32, verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, go get down for your people who you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And then, you know, it was kind of some disgusting things that we looked at. And, you know, we looked at various passages of scripture to see what these other cultures were involved in. A lot of sex. A lot of, I mean, we didn't even get into the drug part, but you know, there was a lot of like, um, um, I don't know what you call it, like the psychedelics type of stuff and um, idolatry, the people of God, they had the, 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 the golden calf. And what blows me away, I mean, you, you consider the egregious, egregious, egregious sin. It's like, it's, it's sad, it, you know, it, it makes me sad, it makes me angry, it makes me like, you know, what are these people thinking? But then, you know, when you boil it all down, it's like, wait a second, what about me? What about me when we spend time in the Word, you know, we study the Bible, and that's just what we do here, but what about our personal time? And it's like, man, what about me? And you know, and that's my challenge for everybody here today and everybody hearing this message too. It's like, what about you? What about ourselves? Because how many times do we get in a position where it's like, you know, we understand that, you know, we have our we're wrapped up in these earth suits, but then to say, "No, I'm going to yield to you, Lord. Not my will, thy will be done in my life." And that's something that the Lord does in every single one of us. But it takes, you know, sometimes it can be, it can take a short period of time. And sometimes for the majority of people, myself included, it takes an entire lifetime. where you know, you get, you get more humble in the course of time. You know, prayerfully you get humble and not pride. That's where pride and selfishness, it can really do a lot of damage to a walk with the Lord, The walk of oneself and then the walk to others around, you know, pride and selfishness where I start to say, I know the Bible says this, but you know what? My will be done. And then all of a sudden people see the hypocrisy and then they grow up, they get become adults and they're like, you know what? I'm done with the Lord. I'm done with God because all I see is hypocrisy. But what's so beautiful about the Lord is you see his redemptive nature. So, yes, there's this wild sin. Remember how angry you're like? The, the, Moses asked of the Lord, like, you know, Lord, why, why are you in verse, chapter 32, verse 11? Why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Why? And then all of a sudden, when he comes down from the mountain, he sees exactly why. In verse 19, so it was in chapter 32, verse 19, so it was as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot. He was just raging. Not like raging in a carnal sense, but like, what are you guys doing? And, you know, there was a period of chastisement that God had for his people. Some people died. And so now what happens? Huge, huge sin. So now what? Now you start to see... the the gears start to turn a little bit towards the, the ultimate goal of redemption, atonement. And all these things, what we read from Exodus 25, when the Lord was giving Moses blueprints, you start to see like, whoa, there was a purpose behind all of it. Not to suggest that, you know, the Lord gives blueprints for no purpose at all. But to remind all of us, myself included, that Wait a second. There's a point behind all these blueprints that we have before us today. And when I say blueprints, I'm talking about the entirety of the word of God. There's a reason behind it. Atonement. Atonement. How, you know, my sin, your sin, it comes away from your account and it's placed on Jesus Christ because God loves you. And what about, you know, it's not like, you know, we have this elitist mentality where it's like, okay, you know, I'm holy and you're not, you know, yeah, you're a druggie, you're addicted to your sex, you got your alcohol and you're doing that and you know what, you go ahead, you're going to burn in hell. It's not to say that, it's to say like, you know, that's not pleasing to the Lord. Repent. It's like you give them like the, the antidote. This is the cure for your sin and it's the blood of Jesus Christ, this belief in him. There's a purpose behind all these blueprints. That's what we're going to focus on today in this entire chapter of verse 33 of chapter 33. That, you know, in in spite of this sin, it's like, whoa, Lord, you're so good. You're so good. We're not even worthy to receive your mercy and your grace. But yet you love us. In verse one, he says, then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here. You and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. You know, I think it's so important to know that, you know, when, um, you know, the Lord refers to in in previous verses, previous chapters, the Lord referred to Israel as my people. And then in chapter 32, verse 7, he says, hey, Moses, these are your people. And then it's not going to get to, you know, we're going to be in Leviticus pretty soon. And it's after that point, after the blueprints have been, the, 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 the tabernacle is built, the, 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 the brazen altar is built, uh, Aaron is a high priest, and all these things, the blueprints that the Lord gave Moses, they're now implemented in, 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 in Leviticus. And it's in Leviticus 11 where the Lord says it again, where he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. And then he tells the people, Be holy, for I am holy. That's in Leviticus 11, verse 45. But between here, at this point in chapter 33, between Leviticus 11, a lot of things happen. You start to see the reason why the Lord was giving Moses these blueprints. There's a point to it all. You know, that's the difference between following the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. The letter of the law is... Have you ever seen somebody like play the piano and they play the piano and it's like robotic and it's like, you know, they hit the notes and everything's they can do it just fine. I mean, they can read the sheet music and it's just like, bing, 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 boom, boom. And it's like, OK, you get it. But then you start to hear somebody play the piano and it's like totally different because it's like it's like their heart and their soul is poured out. It's like their fingers just dance across the keys. And it's like it's a totally different ball game. And that's the spirit of the law, you know, as opposed to the letter of the law. The letter of the law says this, 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 but the spirit of the law reveals something deeper, the character of the Lord. Look at what happens here. He says, depart and go up from here, you and the people who who you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. You know, picture the people of God in Egyptian captivity. When maybe they had parents or grandparents that told them about the Hebrew God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here they are in Egyptian captivity. It's like, wow, that was, I heard that story, but that was like 300 years ago. I heard that story, but that was, you know, 100 years ago. And you know what? God is fake. I don't believe in God anymore. Because look at their present situation where they're in Egyptian captivity, bondage unto Egypt. And all those things that the Lord started to do where, you know, he started to reveal himself. That's what happens when the Lord is forgotten. I mean, we studied in the end of Genesis, you start to see how, you know, Egypt what received the grace of the Lord. But then the Lord became forgotten in Egypt, and the Lord became forgotten in Israel as well. And then the Lord made himself known. The same is going to happen in the last days where the Lord becomes a forgotten thing. But then the Lord is going to make himself known. And when the Lord makes himself known, it's like, wait a second. Where are, you know, the people, like the servants of the Lord... Who are going to be like the fishers of men, the fishers of women. To tell people, hey, you know what? These are the last days. These are the last days. And he says this. He says, "Uh, to your descendants, I will give it. Or or, uh, 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 to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. That's an old school promise that the Lord had. And what about the promises today that the Lord has? The promises today where you read passages of scripture and it's like, Lord, look at my life today, Lord. Look at the mess my life is in today. I read your word and Lord, I can't even believe it. You promised me all these good things. You promised me this. You promised me that. But what happened? I can tell you of a time 18 years ago, maybe 19 years ago. Or well, that was my prayer before the Lord. Lord, I read your word and you promised me this. Where Liz could tell you and testify of these things. Lord, your word says this. But where are where is your hand? Where are your promises? And that's where patience comes into play. To understand that in the course of time, the Lord is at work. The Lord is doing something. Today, I can testify. Today, Liz can testify that he was there the whole time bringing calm to our lives. Making himself known. But we live in the age of immediacy. Like God's promise is this. Okay, I want it now. God's promise, you promise this. Okay, I'm waiting, Lord. Wait a second. Remember, he is Lord and I am not. He is Lord and you are not. He says this in verse 2. And I will send my angel. Theophany, Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. I will send my angel before you. And I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. These are all descendants of of Canaan. Descendants of Canaan. But you know, applicationally for you and me today... What is it that Jesus Christ drives out of my life and your life? Remember a time in your life when you first believed or when you first started, you first stopped playing games with the Lord. And what is it that the Lord has driven out of your life? You know, sometimes you see people where it's like, okay, you know, I believe in the Lord. I'm done playing games. They get rid of the sex. They get rid of the drugs. They get rid of the alcohol. And then in the course of time, something happens where they start to say, wait a second. I remember the sex. I remember the drugs. I remember the alcohol. And I like it. And then they want to go back to those things. That's personified in these people, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Huge, huge problems for Israel. Forces that they come against in future battles. People that they, instead of being grafted into the promises of the Lord, into the law of the Lord, and I'm not advocating the law. I'm just saying grafted into you know the, the law of the Lord because it was you know before Jesus Christ. They still had the, the, the law. They started to say, you know what? I want to be like the Canaanites. I want to be like the Amorites. I want to be like the Hittites and the Hivites, I want to partake of their gods. Where is our God? He's silent. But look at this God. I can see him. I can touch him. And the Lord says, hey, that's a graven image. But then in the course of time, the Lord looks at these prophets and says, hey, I'm going to use you. Go and tell my people to repent. Go and tell my people not to forget me. Go and tell my people to remember the things of old. Remember these old promises. And a lot of these prophets were killed. Remember Stephen when he was killed? And Stephen told the religious leaders, he says, Who of our fathers didn't kill the prophets of the Lord? These are things that are captured in the Old Testament. But they're written for our admonition, our warning. That's what Paul says. In verse three, he says, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. I love this so much because, yes, there was this egregious sin that was committed. And yes, there's going to be a period of correction. what, What happens in chapter 34 and 35. And it's so incredibly beautiful. But you know what? There's still a destination, which is the land flowing with milk and honey. A predetermined destination. This is an Old Testament example of predestiny. A predetermined destination. Predestined to the land of milk and honey. You've heard me give the example before. If you and me, you get in my car and you're sitting in my passenger seat. And I say, you know what? I'm going to do a search for the best hamburger in town. And it says, okay, it's at ABC joint. And it's like, okay, I'm going to Google it, get the address. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to listen to the voice. And the voice is going to tell me, turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right, go straight, do this, do a U-turn. Maybe I took a wrong turn. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you have arrived at your destination. And it's like, here we are at the burger joint. You know, we're going to get down. We're going to have a good, some good food. But then what happens if, you know, you're sitting in the passenger seat and you hear the voice say, turn left, and I miss it. I just keep going straight. And then you hear the voice say, turn right, and I, you know, turn left. I do the exact opposite. Remember, my destination was predetermined. I said, I want to go to the burger joint. But I wasn't even listening to the directions. I was ignoring the instructions. I was ignoring the directions. A lot of people like to rest on, you know, hey, I'm predestined for heaven. You're predestined for heaven. And it's, I have to say, it's totally okay to rely on the, it's it's a promise to the Christian. It's a promise to believers. Mm -hmm. But it applies to the obedient. The ones who, when the Lord says, turn left, you turn left. When the the Mm -hmm. Lord says, turn right, you turn right. You know what's such a trip about? I'm going to fast forward a little bit into the future. And you don't have to turn there. I'm not even going to turn there, but make mention of the book of Deuteronomy and kind of like a little setting the stage for our future studies. But in, the, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, the distance from where the people of God are here to the promised land, to the land of milk and honey is an 11-day journey. And that's revealed in, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2. It's an 11 day journey. It turned into 40 years. 40 years. And in Deuteronomy chapter 1, it's an exhortation that Moses has to the young people, the next generation. You know what happened to the adults? They died in the wilderness. They died in the wilderness. And I say adults with air quotes for a reason. Because, in accordance to faith, there are so called adults, the learned class, who start to say, Well, you know, we're predestined for this, we're predestined for that. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I'm going to go ahead and get drunk, I'm going to go ahead and do my crack. I'm going to go ahead and do my pornography. I'm going to go ahead and do my whatever. And it's like, wait a second. The Lord is saying turn left and you're turning right. The Lord is saying don't do that and you're doing it. Don't forget that the adults died in the wilderness. And in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses is telling the next generation, the ones who are the, the children of the parents who died. Moses is telling them, don't forget the Lord. He encourages them go forth that's the promised land go it's in strong exhortation to the next generation during that 40 year period of time in the wilderness there were people who said hey I'm predestined I'm predestined 5 years in they're, they died they're dead 10 years in they're dead 20 years in dead all because of disobedience unto the Lord And I'm not trying to speak negatively about the idea of predestination. But predestination only applies to the obedient. The good predestination. There's a bad predestination. And I don't mean to chuckle in saying that, but there is a bad destination. The question is, who's going to obey? I think it's so powerful considering what the Lord is saying here in verse 3 of Exodus 33. Because the predetermined destination is set forth right here. It's set up right here. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, or lest I destroy you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. God is fully aware of the people's stubbornness and waywardness. And he's saying to, the, he's saying to Moses... Hey, you know what? I'm not going to go with you guys. You guys are going to go to the land of milk and honey, but I'm not going to be in your midst. Because if I'm in your midst, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to destroy you. And in verse 4, and when the people heard this bad news, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. There was no outward symbols or outward adornings. You know, you hear people say, you know, I'm going to put on my Sunday best. I want to wear my Sunday best. And I don't mean to, you know, uh, uh, mock that at all. It's a beautiful thing to have your Sunday best. But you know what? Start first with your heart, start first with your mind, start first with your soul. So many people want to wear, they want to adorn themselves. Look at my earrings, look at my makeup, look at my nice suit, look at my nice dress. And they wear their Sunday best and they're, you know, all decked out for church. But what is the condition of their heart? You know, it's like they take off their clothes and they put on their club clothes and they go out and get drunk on Friday night. It doesn't work that way. What about the garment of praise on your heart, on my heart? The garment of praise. Let this be our adornment. Righteousness. And so Moses tells the people, hey, you guys, you know, we're going to go to the land of milk and honey. But God's not going to be in our midst because you know what? He's going to kill us. He's going to consume us because we're a stiff necked people and the people were like they were sad they mourned as it says in verse 4 for the lord had said to moses say to the children of israel you are a stiff necked or stubborn people i could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you or destroy you now therefore take off your ornaments that i may know what you, what to do what to do to you <clears throat> You know, it's that mentality of I want I I want to present my very best to the Lord. Which is a, a beautiful desire, it's a good desire, except hey, start first with the heart. Start first with the mind. You want to get decked out in a nice suit, but look at your mind. Look at where your heart is. It's the opposite. Remember, God is no respecter of persons. No respecter of persons. He doesn't care about your bank account. He doesn't care about how buff you are, how strong you are. He doesn't care about how old you are, how young you are. He doesn't care about your, you know, your uh, degrees. He doesn't care about whatever. He looks at the heart. In verse 6, So the children of Israel... Stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb, you know nothing fancy. nothing fancy. God is no respecter of persons. Moses in verse seven, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp. I love verse seven so much. Far from the camp. you know, say you're with friends and family. Hey, let's go camping. You know, you're like, okay, go camping. And then, you know, you're there and you're with, you know, all these people. And then they start to talk. You're with some guys and, you know, a guy, you know, reaches in a cooler with a beer. Says, here, you want a beer? And you're like, no, thanks. You know, and you're like, I mean, instead of hanging out with these guys, I'm going to go over here to these guys. Hey, "Hey, you want a beer? Like, no, man, no, thanks. Then you hang out with some guys and they're just talking about like sex and alcohol and all that. You're like, man, everywhere you go, it's like you don't fit. Everywhere you go, you start to realize you just don't fit. So you take your tent, take the poles out, roll it up, start walking away. People are like, where are you going? You know, I'm sending my tent way over there, outside the camp, far from you guys. You just don't fit. You're talking with these people, you know, a guy and girl, they're not married, they start talking about their sexual stuff, and you're like, man, I don't even wanna be here. And you have a strong desire, I just want to be alone. Because you don't fit wherever you go. Like a fish out of water. That's what's so cool about Moses. Remember, he's a servant of the Lord in the master's house. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp. Remember in John 17, the Lord made a prayer to the father, our father, on our behalf. And he's like, Lord, these people don't even belong in this world. And he says, protect them. That's the prayer that he, I mean, in your own personal studies, read John 17. It's a beautiful, beautiful prayer of intercession that our Lord has unto his father. And it's so, I I, I feel weird saying unto his father because by his blood, he's our father. We are the adopted sons and daughters. But if you ever feel like a fish out of water friends family hey come over here you want a drink of this you know no thanks people start talking about their sex their drugs their alcohol and you're like man they start talking about their movies hey did you see this movie did you see this show and you're like i watched about five seconds of it and even five seconds was too much because it was disgusting and then all of a sudden you're like man i i just want to be alone i don't fit in Such is the case with this beautiful man by the name of Moses. He pitched his tent outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the Tabernacle of Meeting. And it came to pass in the course of time that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the Tabernacle of Meeting, which was outside the camp. You see what's so powerful about this? Instead of Moses blending in with the people, the people blended in with Moses. And it was the seekers of the Lord, the ones who sought the Lord. That's the problem with people today. They want to blend in with the crowd. But what happens when the crowd is a bunch of wicked people, young, old, male, female, you go and hang out with them. They start talking about their sex and drugs and alcohol and all kinds of disgusting lifestyles. They start talking about their movies, their shows, all kinds of gross things. And they're like, man, you know, I was at the club till three in the morning or two o'clock. It closed. Then we had after hours. We did all these crazy things. And man, it was so much fun. What were you doing? And you're like, I I was sleeping, you know. I was in bed, you know? I didn't, I didn't partake in that, you know? And then all, he just. What would have happened if Moses wanted to be a man pleaser? He wanted to blend in with the people. All these beautiful men and women in Holy Scripture. Oh, I just want to blend in with the people. I just want to fit in. Well, let me tell you something the closer you get to the Lord, closer and closer you will not fit in you will not fit in with this world and what's so sad is that instead of the church impacting the world the world is impacting the church and you know you go to church thinking like wow this is my safe haven and you won't even feel you'll feel like a fish out of water even in church even inside of church but yet look what happens here. Everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. So more, st- more people started to wonder and observe Moses. You know, look at what's happening here. Like, you know, Moses was, you know, he didn't want to be with us. He didn't want to hang out with us. Yeah, we had the golden calf, but then he destroyed it. He made us drink the bitterness of the water. He made us drink. And you know what? It's like now he doesn't want to hang out with us. What is he too good for us? What is it that people say about you? When they're like, hey, come hang out with us. And you're like, you know, no, thanks. How come you're too good for us? Well, it has, it's nothing to do with that. Instead of me, you know, I want to hang out with you, but you know, you come hang out with me. You come over here. Don't be a man pleaser. Don't try to blend in. Try to fit in. Fit in with the world, you know. Fit in with the Lord and his word. And it's so beautiful what happened. So the people, they start to observe Moses. All the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass again in the course of time when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. The last time the people of God saw this pillar of cloud It was in chapter 14 when Egypt was destroyed. That was the last time they saw this pillar of cloud and they see it again. Wow. In the tent of Moses, what he calls the the tabernacle of meeting. Moses goes there and we see the cloud again descending on his tent. It's like, whoa, this is so beautiful. The Lord talked with Moses. You see this intimacy. It's It doesn't stop intimacy with the Lord. It doesn't stop for Moses because he wasn't a man pleaser. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshiped each man in his tent door. You start to see, whoa, look what's happening now. The people now are worshiping the Lord. You see, it's not to say that Moses just he wanted to be a a, a party pooper and say, okay, you guys, I'm just going to be over here. You do your thing and I'm over here. It's not like he wanted to be a party pooper. He just didn't fit in. He had his Mm -hmm. oneness with the Lord. And remember what our Lord's promise is to you and to me, he says, hey, you know what? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You know, let your light shine. He says, when the salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. What is happening in our world today? It's being trampled underfoot by men. What has happened? The church has lost her flavor. We've lost the flavor. What I say to you is don't lose your flavor. If it means that you can't hang out with your homies, if it means that you can't hang out over here, so be it. Take your tent and set it up, pitch it up outside the camp, far from the camp. And honor the Lord, continue in your oneness with him. And look at what happens here in verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Intimacy. Intimacy. Oneness. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. And I love this so much. Because remember, Joshua is a future leader of Israel. And Moses goes back to the people. He's in his tabernacle. He's in his tent. And he spends time with the Lord. The cloud is there. And who's there with him? Joshua. And then, you know, Moses goes back to the people. And who stays there? Joshua. You see, this oneness with the Lord. Now, verse 12 is so incredibly beautiful because you start to see the intercession of Moses. A beautiful, beautiful conversation that he has with the Lord. God and Moses speaking together. Remember, Verse 9, the Lord talked with Moses. Verse 11, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And we're going to see that right here in verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have found grace in my heart. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you. I love this so much. Because it's like, you know, Moses already has intimacy with the Lord. He already has this one-on-one love relationship with the Lord. And he tells the Lord, I want more that I may know you once more, more of you, Lord. And that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. This nation is your people. Remember when chapter 32, verse 7, where the Lord says, Hey, Moses, these are your people. These are your people. And then, you know, Moses here, You know, when he heard, when when the Lord says in chapter 32, verse 7, you know, these are your people, Moses. Moses doesn't say, okay, you know, God is sovereign. That's it right there. God is sovereign. His decision is made. It's impossible for you to understand the Lord. You can't fathom his ways. And it's true. There are certain, you know, his ways are not our ways. But Moses starts to intercede for the people. And he tells the Lord, Lord, If I have found grace, if I have found grace in your sight, consider that this nation is your people. It's so beautiful. Remember Moses as a type of Christ, an Old Testament example of Jesus Christ. Who is our intercessor? Who is our advocate? Who is our mediator? Jesus Christ. And consider that this nation is your people. And he said, this is the Lord now. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, this is now Moses to God. If your presence does not go with us, Do not bring us up from here. This is like, whoa, Moses. I mean, if if I happen to be there, like, just, like, in the distance, uh, you know, maybe, like, close by, I'd nudge Moses. Moses, do you know who you're talking to? You know, like, but that's what's so beautiful about this intimacy, Verse 9 says the Lord talked with Moses. Verse 11 says the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's what's so beautiful about intimacy with the Lord. Make your prayers and petitions known. It's not to say, hey, I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to get high as a kite. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to make my prayers and petitions known. First, you need to repent if that's the case. But when you've denied all those things, it's like, wow, you know, that was the old me. I'm not playing around with that stuff anymore. And then all of a sudden you have intimacy with the Lord and you're walking with him. You're holding on tightly to him, knowing that he's also holding on tightly to you. Something happens where it's like, Lord, you know, you start to have closer relations with the Lord. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And finally, you're like, man, I can't wait to die I can't wait till I take my last breath. Blows me away about Peter, you know, in our study on Sunday, because in the book of Acts, you see Peter and he's just he's obedient to the Lord. But then at the same time, remember that the Lord told him when we ended our study in the book of Matthew, the Lord told him and said, like, you know, Peter, when you were younger, you did whatever you wanted to do. You wanted to go here, you went there. You wanted to do this, you do that. But you know what? As you get older, something different is going to happen. You're not going to be able to go where you want to go. And the Lord started to reveal to him the manner of his death. And Peter still remained obedient. You know how hardcore that is? You know, so many people like to say, wow, you know what? I'm obedient to the Lord. I'll be obedient to the Lord. What if the Lord says, okay, you know, I'm going to call you to, you know, to be a missionary in Sudan. And you're going to die. They're going to chop off your head there. You're going to die there. Will you still go? That's what's so powerful about the apostles. These messengers of the Lord. The Lord used them. Hey, tell my people about me. Tell my people the good news. Share the good news. And consider that this nation is your people. In verse 14. And he said, this is the Lord speaking to Moses. Moses, he says, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. Then he said to him. This is Moses to God now. If your presence does not go with us. Do not bring us up from here. Purality. Verse 14, the Lord said, You. In verse 15, the Lord is saying, No, us. Us. Intimacy with God has a purpose. Yes, intimacy with God is a beautiful thing, it's so wondrously beautiful. But remember, it's like, wait a second, I want to be concerned about other people. I want to be concerned for other people, just like Moses is concerned for Israel. Do you remember when the Lord told Moses, he says, you know what? In, in chapter 32, verse 10, the Lord says to Moses, Moses, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make you a great nation. Remember, Moses was raised in Egypt. He was very well acclimated to the things of Pharaoh, the head guy in charge. And Moses, and the Lord tells Moses, Moses, I'm going to start fresh with you. Think of what went on in Moses' mind. I mean, I, I don't claim to know the mind of Moses, but it's like, you know, he had all this, you know, prior experience. Wow, the Lord could start with me. Egypt is now gone. Egypt is like, you know, their military is destroyed. They're no longer what they used to be. And the Lord is going to start a new nation with me. But you see the picture of the humility of Moses. Where he says, no, Lord. No, Lord, because you're gracious, because of your grace. Intimacy with the Lord is so incredibly beautiful. But remember, there's a purpose behind it. Be concerned for other people. That's what's so beautiful about Job. You know, you read uh, the early chapters of Job and he was so concerned about his family. And he was an intercessor for his kids. Rising up early in the morning. And he would tell the Lord, Lord, it could be. Maybe my son or daughter is in sin before you. I don't know. The little ones, they grow old, they go off to college, they do whatever. You haven't heard from your baby girl in a while. Intercede for her. Intercede for your son. Intercede for your daughter. Or I don't know, she's, she's in the uh, University of Florida. I don't know, she's over here doing these studies. I don't know if she's in sin. I don't know if he's in sin. But Lord, I'm going to intercede for them. And pray like crazy. That's something that the older generation doesn't do for the next generation. Very few. I shouldn't say they do, but very, very few. Intimacy with the Lord is so beautiful, but remember there's a point to it. Just like Moses, he's interceding for the people. Just the way Jesus Christ does for you and for me. Just the way Joshua does for Israel. Just the way Jonah did. For um, in Nineveh remember he didn't even want he was like he, he said okay I'm going to give this message that you want me to give Lord and then I'm going to go up to the top of the mountain and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to wait and I'm just going to watch you destroy this city and the Lord didn't destroy the city because he was merciful The same way the apostles do. They give the good news. They give the message. And God is moving. Or as we're studying in the book of Acts. But there's still opposition. Even in the face of opposition. Who cares? To live is Christ. To die is gain. I used to wonder so much about that. Like, wow. How could somebody say to live is Christ. To die is gain. How can dying be gain? And it's like, wow. Now it's like, can't wait for certain things to happen he says in verse 16 this is moses interceding for the people for how then will it be known that your people and i have found grace in your sight this is hardcore stuff because you know the lord told moses he says Uh, You know, uh, that uh, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest in verse 14. In verse 13, Moses challenges the Lord. I don't know if that's the right word to say it, to say it that way. But, you know, he says, if I have found grace in your sight. And then when he brings up the grace that Moses has in the sight of the Lord, he includes Israel. Remember how he was also mad at the golden calf. His anger was hot, as it says in the previous chapter, in verse 19. He was angry, righteous indignation. And then all of a sudden, you know, and you know, it's a lot, a huge responsibility that pastors have and elders and deacons, huge responsibility and he puts it on on Aaron, too. In the previous chapter, in chapter 32, verse 25, he said, or in, in, um, in verse 21, Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? Aaron is, is an example of somebody who wanted to be friends with the people. He wanted to blend in with the people. And in so doing, the people, you know, it, it was the opposite. Instead of bringing the people to the Lord, the people brought Aaron into, you know, the golden calf and all these exploits. Don't do that ever in your walk with the Lord. You're going to you, you don't fit. This world is not designed for you, for the Christian. You feel like a fish out of water. Praise be unto the Lord. All these beautiful people, male, female, young, old, they all felt like a fish out of water in their generation. You are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And in your intimacy with the Lord, don't forget the other people. Yeah, you're going to be so mad. You're going to be so furious of sin. You're going to be so mad, like, how can this happen? But look at Moses. In verse 16, how, how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the, upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Remember verse 3. The Lord says, I'm not going to be in your midst because if I'm in your midst, I'm going to kill you guys. I'm going to consume you on the way because you are stubborn. You are stiff necked people and I'm going to kill you. And then here in verse 17, the Lord is saying, you know what? I'm going to be with you. Why? Because of the intercession of Moses. Now. Keeping a lot of things happen during the. Remember, the 11 11 day journey turned into 40 years. God is gracious, but he still doesn't play games. The same applies to you and me today. Paul is the one who writes to the church in Rome, to the church in Salmon Creek. He says, Yes, God is gracious. Bask in his grace, but don't play games with the Lord. Don't play games with, don't take advantage of his grace. You know, getting drunk. Oh, yeah, I'm. you know, all I got to do is repent. I'm good to go. Doing the sexual stuff. Oh, I'm good to go. It's totally okay. I can go to the strip clubs. And then Sunday, I'll just repent. I'll go to the altar call. Don't do that. Not good. Remember Israel in 40 years, how 11 days became 40 years. So many people are wandering in the wilderness. Wandering in the wilderness. An 11-day journey turns into a 10-year journey, turns into a 30-year journey, turns into a 40-year journey. All they had to do is obey the Lord. If you're ever tempted when the Lord says go left and you're tempted to go right? in a lot of ways you're your worst enemy just like in a lot of ways I'm my worst enemy trust in the Lord that's what's so cool about intimacy with the Lord you start to trust him more and more and more and more and then you you can look in the mirror and say that guy is a liar I trust in him I trust in the Lord not my way thy way you brush your teeth You know, you look in the mirror, it's like, wow, that guy's a liar. That girl's a liar. I'm going to trust in your word, Lord. It's a complete and total denial of self. And complete and total exaltation of Jesus Christ. Look at what's happening here. The Lord is saying to Moses, okay, I will do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. In verse 18. And he said, please show me your glory. You know, if I was there beside Moses, uh, Moses, you know, you interceded. The Lord said he's going to do it. Okay, we're done now. Say amen and let's go. But no, he goes further. He said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you or all my beauty pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion in whom, on whom I will have compassion. Now I have to say this. Calvinists go crazy with this verse. They always mention Romans chapter 9. You know, God will be gracious on whom he has, great, or, 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 and has mercy on whom he has mercy. But never, ever, 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 ever forget... Bind it on your heart. Bind it on your mind that God's mercy is conditional. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, he says that he will have mercy to those who love me and obey obey my commandments. A lot of Calvinists, they say, well, you know, a lot of Reformed theology people, a lot of people who go to their, you know, their... Uh, uh, um, I forgot what they call it. They lean a lot on Calvinism, the teachings of John Calvin, which, you know, we might talk about a little bit on Sunday. They say, God has mercy on whom he has mercy. You won't understand his way. God is sovereign. And I'm not mocking his sovereignty. He is sovereign. But his mercy is conditional to those who love me and obey my commandments. Piece of cake. It's right there. To those who love me and obey my commandments. And people always, you know, it, 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 it's so wild because you start to read the word of God and study the word of God. And you don't need book A, book B. But you don't need all these things. Because in your intimacy with the Lord, he will reveal himself. It's, you know, quiet your heart. Quiet your mind. People say, oh, you know, let's get drunk tonight. Let's go get high. Let's go have sex. It's like, no, I'm not, I'm not down with that. My tent, I'm taking my bags. I'm taking my tent. And I'm over here outside the camp, far from the camp. And you have intimacy with the Lord. In verse 20, But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock for it shall be while my glory passes passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you by my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. You know what's so beautiful about this intimacy with the Lord is that in chapter 34, verse 29, we're going to study that. Next week, maybe in a couple of weeks, Lord willing. Moses' face is different. Moses' face starts to shine, and he doesn't realize it. But Moses is going to spend time with the Lord and intimacy with the Lord, and then all of a sudden, his countenance starts to change. His very nature starts to take a a new image. His very persona starts to be transformed. Does any of that sound familiar to you and me today, as believers in the Most High God, as believers in the Son of the Most High God? Being transformed by renewing of our minds and the countenance changes. You're different. It's to say, you know what? Yeah, you might have done the drugs, the sex, the alcohol. You might have partied like crazy. You might have done all these things, which was disgusting. And then all of a sudden you believe in Jesus Christ and he molds you. He shapes you. When your heart is soft clay in his hand and he makes a beautiful, beautiful creation for his glory. And you start to change your, you're You're transformed. By renewing of your mind. Remember, in Isaiah 1, it's the Lord who says, Come and let us reason together. You could come at the Lord with anything. Your preconceived notions about homosexuality, about sex, drugs, all these things. But the question is, are you going to yield to the Lord? Or are you going to make the Lord yield to you? You make the Lord yield to you, that's, you know, it doesn't work that way. People try it, people fail. It doesn't work that way. Then you see the fruit in their lives. They're crazy. They've gone to cuckoo town. It's part of God's wrath. Read Romans 1. People try all the time. But you could say, oh yeah, I'm down with homosexual marriage. And then you start to read the word and you're like, whoa, I, I got to deny that. Oh yeah, I'm cool with partying like crazy, getting drunk and getting high. You start to read the Bible. Whoa, oh, the Lord has something to say about that you're like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm cool with whatever. You keep reading. This is an affront to the Lord. I'm cool with this. Whoa, this is an abomination to the Lord. And each time it's like, Lord, forgive me. I didn't know. Forgive me, Lord. And then in the course of time, you're different. You start to change. It's called being transformed into his image. Not your image. It's Christ in you. And then all of a sudden, you know, in your intimacy with the Lord, you intercede for other people. Intercede for your family. Intercede for your friends. Intercede for your neighbors. Intercede for those inside the church. It's like, whoa, it's so beautiful. That's not to say, you know, the Lord, remember, the Lord was the one who told Moses, I'm not going to be with you guys. Because if I'm in your midst, I'm going to wipe you. I'm going to kill you. Because you're stiff-necked. You're stubborn. Moses intercedes for the people. And the Lord said, okay, I'm going to be with you. The people of God are still stubborn. We're going to see. And it's sad what happens during this 40 years. But that doesn't change the nature of the Lord. Don't play games with him. And we're going to end our study here.